Tired of ads interrupting your favorite show? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free fitness to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is the Secret Library Podcast. And I am somewhat shocked to share that this is now season seven. While I was pondering the theme for this season, it felt difficult to narrow in on one thing that would be most useful to us in this moment, which has been so full of confusion, upheaval, turmoil, and stress. But then it came to me that writing is like this too. And after we get started, after we've been working on a project for a while, there is a point where we're uncertain and where we don't know what to do next. It's a point many of us call the murky middle. And it suddenly felt like exactly the right thing to talk about with an illustrious lineup of authors this season, both New debut writers as well as household names, in fact. My guest this week is Latoya Watkins. She was born in Texas, and her writing has appeared or is forthcoming in A Public Space, The Sun, McSweeney's Quarterly Concern, West Branch, Ruminate Magazine, The Pushcart Prize Anthology, and elsewhere. She is... Kimabilio Fiction Fellow and has received support from the Breadloaf Writers Conference, the McDowell Colony, Yaddo, Hedgebrook, and Omni Arts. She received a PhD in Aesthetic Studies from University of Dallas at Texas. She is co-director of the Jack Jones Literary Arts Retreat, and she lives and writes in Dallas, Texas. Her novel, Parish, is out now from Penguin. I am so happy to share this conversation with Latoya Watkins with you. There are so many things that we explored that were so validating, and I hope will be validating for you in terms of getting through the messy middle from how many drafts it took Latoya to get clear on the direction this book would take, from her generosity in sharing her uncertainty about where this book was going her shift from thinking of herself as a short story writer to a novelist, and all the transformation, writing this very, very heavy story and emotionally intense story created for her. I am delighted by the way she explores character as well as story and her commitment to writing. It's an absolute joy to introduce Latoya Watkins. Toya, thank you so much for coming on the show. 
Thank you for having me here. I'm excited to talk about parish and process and everything. Oh my goodness, me too. So this is your debut novel, but yes. I doubt it's the first writing project you've taken on. Am I correct in that assumption? You are correct in that assumption. <laughs> I was like, there is no way a debut novelist wrote a book that is this complex in terms of character, layers, different points of view, and all of the subtle hard work you put into this thing right out of the gate. I think the what what happened before Parish was I became a story writer, a short story writer, and I fell in love with crafting short stories, learning to create better worlds and new stories. Like it was just something that I was enjoying and I thought that I didn't have room for anything else. Like it's almost like being a mother when you have one child and it's like, I can't imagine loving another one this much. And then, so I felt that way about the short story. And I wrote short stories for almost a decade before actually sitting down to write a novel. And the reason why I decided to to write a novel is because when I first started, being approached and approached by and approaching agents, a lot of them wanted a novel. Like they wanted, they didn't want to sell short stories, just a a collection of short stories. I think they wanted to know that I could write longer works as well. So I was like, oh, okay, I guess I need to write a novel. And (laughs) I looked at the first story that I've, that I'd ever written, which was a novella um, about somewhere between 75 and 80 pages. And I was like, that is the longest thing I've ever written. It's kind of, it was the bravest that I'd ever been because it was the first, I didn't know anything when I went into it. Like I didn't have all of these rules. I didn't have a grasp for the elements uh, on the elements of craft or any of these things. So there was a certain type of freedom that I had when I created that story. And that was the one I went back to. So it became Parish. Um, okay, I so whose to... story was it? I'm dying to it's... know because there are so many characters <laughs> you, you spend time with. And oh, I was that was what I wanted to ask. It's like, who, who did it start with? In the beginning, I had two narrators in that novella, and it was Jan and Lydia. Okay. They were the they were the only Helen Jean was there, but she really didn't have a voice. She was kind of just there as um, a foil. Um, she was she was there, but she wasn't as developed as she is by the time we get to drafting the novel. But there was so much that I had to create. And there were so many things that I was reading at the time that I was influenced by, like Ernest Gaines and William Faulkner and... Morris Conde, I wanted to, because I was so in love with the short story, I wanted to have just a book of 20 different narrators. So the book started out with a lot of voices. Like there were a lot of 
people that were cut and didn't make it to this version, but the first draft of the first draft of it, I think there were somewhere between 15 and 19 um, POVs and narrators. And wow. I never had to revisit. Um, it was just like a collection. Oh, so you didn't go back stories. to them. So I didn't go back oh, to them. Oh, cool. Um, but in like the drafts that followed, it didn't make much sense to have all of them there. All of them weren't, you know, essential to the plot or what was going on. And there were the ones that I chose to keep there and stick with were the ones that I think I fell the most in love with in this world and in this setting. And they needed the most, they needed the most time and the most, the most love, the most kind of redemption. So those are the ones that ended up being there. So, um, it was a long road to get to like this, but there were so many other things that I wrote before this that I was in love with and I treasured. Um, this being the newest thing, I love it. Like I actually, I'm, I'm a novelist um, and I feel that in a way that I didn't before this. So uh, like I've kind of gone <laughs> all kinds of places before answering your question. But no, this isn't the first thing that I've written, but it is like the first novel. It's what made me a novelist. I I love that you were able to bridge the experience of loving writing short stories. And it makes so much sense that you love them looking at the format of this book that were, <laughs> it kind of allowed you to keep the parts that I imagine are so satisfying of switching between it, having episodes sort of, there's a completeness in each of the sections. Yet I had this sensation of like peeling the layers back of an onion and mm. discovering more and more of the sort of center, or as you put it in the first section, the seed of what created this family's experience. And I'm wondering how much you knew about the the seed or the center of the story at the beginning and how much did you discover by actually writing it? I think the first draft of the novel, when I finished it and I sat down and I read it, I still didn't know what it was about. So I had to go <laughs> in and it was probably in draft five when I kind of realized what it was that I was writing and the themes kind of started to come out and the characters st I started to understand what they were asking um, of me and each other and I think that is when um, I started looking at it as seed and harvest like what happened peeling back those layers, as you say, to get to the center, the first, the seed part of the book came in a later draft um, because mm. I didn't, after I wrote it out, after I kind of sat down, because what I do is I kind of create character biographies before I create the world and the story. So I have an index uh, card box and have all of these index Ooh. cards with these character biographies in there. And something, I knew that something had happened in this story with 
Lydia and Jan and their grandmother, but I needed to put her, kind of know her life in a way that I didn't for a while. So I went into that box and um, kind of spent some time with Helen Jean. I placed her in my car. I became her um, kind of in the grocery stores and in shopping centers and with my family. And I understood what had happened to this family after sitting with Helen Jean. I understood what she was trying to do um, and how she felt about that as her life kind of came, was wrapping up at the end of her life, like how she felt about her decisions. So it wasn't something that I knew early on. I didn't know, I don't think I knew, really knew what this book was about besides this like really messy family who had all of these really different um, people in it who wanted these different things for themselves. Um, So I think the key to the story was figuring out who Helen Jean was, where she had been and what she wanted. This is, I have so I have like four questions that are pulling at the same time. So we'll see. I'll try to, I'll try to hold on to them as I get through it. But First, I want to ask, how was it for you? Because without spoiling the book, Helen Jean does not have an easy story. So how was it for you to be Helen Jean? That 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 must have been intense, I would imagine. It was intense. Um, what I learned early on when I started writing is that um, I'm a method writer. I become... <laughs> I become the char- the characters that I need to identify with um, or that I feel like I don't know enough. I become them for, and it, it's nothing intentional, but when you're studying a character and you're trying them on and you're really trying to um, know them, I think it's only natural to become them. I didn't know. As a matter of fact, it was my partner who, asked me one day, like brought it to my attention. It's like, this is not Latoya. Who is this? Like, who are you? What are you writing? And I was, you know, I kind of, I was like, I started thinking about the character that I was working on. And I was like, you know what? Like, you're right. Like yeah. I've been carrying this around. I've been um, kind of toting the baggage of like Helen Jean or who, whichever character that I am trying to get close to or know I carry them around. So I did actually become um, Helen Jean and it was very difficult. I had nightmares um, for a really, a, a, a really long time that I think would have been Helen Jean's nightmares. I ate the things that I imagined she would have eaten. I dressed in ways that I imagined she would dress. I spoke in um, her voice a lot of times. And the thing that was is most surprising when I do this is that people that I encounter out there in the world are reacting to my character. They're reacting to Helen Jean and they don't know that if they don't know me, they don't know that it's not me. 
like she becomes real in that way. So it was very hard in those silent moments um, when I was sitting as Helen Jean, but it was fun when I took her out for a drive, right? Like it was fun to see how people responded to her and how she responded to the world. Um, so I think that it is as um, important as it is difficult for me to kind of put go through that process um, because the difficulties carrying, trying to create these memories and imagining having what she had go on in, in her life. It's, it's, it's difficult because those things are sitting with her um, a lot. She's kind of centered everything around her pain and trauma, but even her joy um, is, is different. The things that she finds happiness and joy in aren't necessarily things that I would recognize as um, light or joy or peace. So it's, it's difficult. It's a, it's a difficult thing. And I think it's a lengthy process because if you are spending time with each of your characters, especially in a novel length of work in that way, it can consume a lot of your life and a lot of your time. And, but I think it's necessary before I even go sit down to create, put them, place them in their world. Um, I have to, kind of know how they're going to respond to it. And if they've been in mind, then it's a simple thing. That's fascinating. And I love this idea of going out in the world with strangers as a character and seeing what happens just as something to do. It's, it sounds like such an adventure, but also depending on who the character is, it can go any, any different kind of way. It has gone different ways. I think one, once I went into um, I went into Walmart as a character, <laughs> so I had on like like a head head scarf and uh-huh. pretty much pajamas and like this really long muumu. I was a, it was a mess, and I was kind of putting my um, buying a few things and the person who was checking me out this is when they had actual people in grocery stores and she was like your food stamps aren't going to work your Lone Star card isn't going to work um there we have to enter that in and I was like, this isn't, you know, I kind of showed my card. I was like, this isn't a Lone Star card. But the assumption that she made about this character based on her presentation, I felt the shame and um, the anger that this character would have felt. So it is like an incredible experience to actually be able to have those experiences because I can make that relatable in the work. I know what it felt like. Um, and I know, you know, what, where the assumption came from. And I know how, you know, it made me as a person who was putting on a character feel to be kind of judged in that way. And embarrassed because there were people in line behind me. Right. It's, and this brings me to the other question. I'm so happy I remembered it. Um, which is that because of the difficulty of the story, again, I'm being cagey everybody because you just have to read the book, but that 
it would be easy, I think, in some cases to tell the story in this book by making a number of people villains and not giving them a multidimensional experience. There's a lot of people who made choices that resulted in experiences for other people that they maybe would have preferred to avoid. And at the same time, because of some of the characters we get to spend time with through the different points of view, it's very difficult to think of anybody as a true villain. It's it's not that easy. You can't just dismiss someone out of hand. Everyone is completely multidimensional and you learn more and more about them as you go. And I'm wondering if that was your intent or just what happened throughout the process. I think it was a little bit of both um, because I had spent time with and as each of these characters, I was able to kind of come to an understanding. Something that I've always told my children is that we're all someone's villain. Um, and we don't really, we're, we aren't really aware of it because we're also very good um, to ourselves. Like, I'm not the bad guy here. I'm the good guy. And I kind of went into this wanting to do uh, two things. Um, I wanted to talk about the legacy of slavery without talking about the legacy of slavery. So there are moments where you realize you're looking for someone to drive blame into, right? And uh, blame about all of these things that are happening to this family, but you can go back as far as you you know, can, and you know that everyone was someone else's victim in, in, some, in some way. So it, you have to go further than these characters, further than the story starts to find that. So it's, it's a way to kind of, not at history without like just really looking at it. Um, so I wanted to do that, but I also wanted to create in, in us, in all of us, like we can all be, we're, none of us are just one thing. None of the characters in, in the book are just one thing. Um, all of them hurt and have been hurt, right? Like they have been hurters and they have been, um, the hurt if, if, if we can say it in that way. And I wanted that to come through in a way that I watch a lot of, this is, totally off topic, but I watch a lot of, um, animated films. Interesting. Okay. I love, I love them. I love them because there are these clear, um, cut villains, right? Like, but recently, maybe not as recent as I think, because I watch the same ones over and over. (laughs) There's been a blurring of this line of what a villain is, like despicable me. Like you have this villain who has a heart or is trying to um, be a good guy in some way. And that's really fascinating to me because as a child, that was something that I always looked for in animation. Like, okay, so who's the bad guy and who's the good guy? Who do I need to to look at? And I don't think... um, life people are that simple it's 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 not that 
easy. Um, I think we go through people and like run, it's like we change friends, we fall out, we fall in with people. And I think it's because we are so complex and complicated and we all have our individual histories and then collective histories. And we have so many things informing our person, who who we become, um, that kind of contributes to these complications. And I kind of wanted to explore that when I was creating these characters and placing them in this world that at if we are turned at different angles, sometimes we're beautiful and sometimes we're ugly. And, and, and that's what I wanted to do with this book. I think it worked, I have to say, because <laughs> I, I definitely you. felt that in there where you can feel the hurt that someone has experienced at someone else's hand, but you can also see that same person who caused the hurt having reflection in their life and thinking about having fear. I'm thinking of Alex in one example in particular, trying to not recreate a situation. And Mm -hmm. it, it just, it just helped me to, to look at like, yeah, we are, none of us are perfect. And I think that a gift of of reading is often being able to empathize with a wider range of experiences, at least. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think it's important. Uh, I wanted to, I think I wanted to, my goal is always to fall in love with characters that are hard to love. Um, And when I've done that, when I've cried for them or I felt joy for them, I know that they are close to being or what I need for them to be in order for other people to feel the same way when they read them. Yep. So you said earlier that it wasn't until draft three or four, maybe that you felt like, or even later, possibly that you felt like you knew what the book was about. And I'm wondering if at any point you worried that you weren't going to find out or if there was any sense of, oh God, what have I gotten myself into at any point? And if so, how did you, how did you stay with it? I think up until, (laughs) up until the book was out on submission and I still, I was still concerned. <laughs> um, I was still concerned because it is, it's, it wasn't an easy book to write. And it's, I knew that it wasn't a beach read, right? Um, right. That it, it wasn't a typical world to escape to. But I also thought that it was important. I think every at every stage of every draft, I was like, oh, no, this probably isn't going to work. I don't know. I'm going to start something. And I did. I started many other things um, while I was working on Parish because Parish is the it's probably the hardest book um, that I 
I don't know. I will. It's not the hardest book that I will write. I've realized, but it was the hardest. I wanted to. There were. I, I talked to a lot of writers, met a lot of writers while I was working on Parish, and when they would tell me their book ideas, I would kind of, or or what they were working on, I would walk away sometimes and probably should admit this, feel a little bit of envy. Like, why didn't I think of something fun like that? <laughs> like, oh, that <laughs> sounds so relaxing. That's that so relaxing. I wish that was my story. Um, because there were so, th- these, these were again, like, this is a, a troubled family and sitting with them and being in this world sometimes felt like, oh my goodness, what am I get, getting into? What have I gotten into? What am I becoming um, by being here for so long? Even there were points, probably before that third draft, I went and talked to, then my, um, I was in a grad school program. I went and talked to the director of uh, the writing program, who was also my committee chair. And I was like, who's going to want to read like this? None of this is light. None of this. And he was like, this is some beautiful writing. Like, I think you're going to find your way and you're going to see the value in this story. And I, up until I went through a lot of drafts of this book, up until that last draft, I, I, I think at some point I was always saying maybe I should try something else. Maybe I should write another book. I am not getting this. And if I'm not getting this, nobody, nobody will. So I really had to, I think my last draft of the book, um, when I sat down and read it, I, I was at, um, the Kamar Joe foundation in, uh, the South of France. And I remember sitting on this little, I had this um, den, this like beautiful den with this huge window that looked out at the sea and I was reading it and I cried and I was like, this is beautiful. Like this is actually, there's a lot of beauty here, but I was so immersed in the story and the world and the characters and the pain that I couldn't see that beauty. And it took me a while to read that last draft. I had to be away from the work before I could step back into it. And when I did, I I was just like, damn, like, <laughs> I did that. What a world, you know, yeah. but it took a while for me to actually get there. My committee chair had also told me um, that, you know, it's a, you, you you might take you might get some criticism for it. There are a lot of things here that will be triggers for people, and they are not going to be able to see past the writing. Um, I mean, past the story and look at the writing and look at the craft of it and look at the depth and look at the hope and redemption there. So I think that that sat with me as I put the story together. And that was the thing that gave me doubt. Um, But it's also become the thing that I love um, most about the work is that there are people who can see the hope and they can see this misshapen love in this family and that they are trying to 
kind of bring themselves up to speed to some point and they just haven't been taught and don't know how. It's, yeah, I think that it's so easy to get hung up on what people will think or what a reader will or won't understand when in reality, it's just, I think it's about making the book the best possible version of itself. And it sounds Mm -hmm. like that's what ultimately happened. Yeah, I, I think I forgot to... I forgot to think about how, how, how I didn't think about any of those things with that first draft. Like none of that mattered. And and I think once you begin to think about the business of selling the book and who's going to read the book, then that's when the fear and the murky, like of that part comes in. Um, But that first draft, I wasn't, I was just soaring. I was just flowing. I was flying. And I didn't think about those things. And I, at some point in every draft had to get to that place where I wasn't thinking. I was just thinking about the characters and not about the world outside of them. And I think I had those moments. I had to have those moments in each draft of this book in order to complete it. Because when I stopped Um, flying or walking on water then all of the terms of my world and book publishing would hit me and doubt would set in. So how long did it take overall? I think this is very reassuring for people to hear that it it wasn't five minutes that it took to to write this. No I think the first draft of it, um, when I really didn't know when I was in what I called um, like flow, um, it was maybe 12 to 18 months worth of kind of writing and flowing. The, everything after that <laughs> is what took the most time. So I say probably about seven years of of redrafting and revising before um, actually getting to a point to where I like people actually saw it as a novel um, had to happen. Right. Um, So no, it wasn't an overnight thing. I grew because here's what I always like to tell um, people about me being a novelist, which still sounds really strange to me, um, is that I like short stories because I am definitely a person who believes that I don't wake up as the person I was the day, the, like the day before, right? Yes. We are always growing and we are always changing. How am I supposed to stay in a world for a decade and with characters who are growing for me at a slower kind of pace than I am because um, I these days are flying by, these years are flying by, and their uh, growth is a little bit, um, I don't know, it's not as fast as what I feel I'm growing, like I'm growing older um, every day. I can see it, right? And they're not. <laughs> they're in the same, they're, they're, they're not. Um, for most of the book, the, in the present tension, it's one day, right? Like right. you have decades that pass, but this is one day. So I had to stay in this one day 
for years. Um, and I think that that is the heart. That's harder than the time it takes to actually write the book because those days I'm in academia. So as a teacher um, who is on like these, this academic schedule, it just feels like the years fly by too quick. So it really doesn't feel like I worked on this book for seven years because I was also working on other things. I think I published more stories um, while drafting this because I needed to feel like I was completing something so I could sit down and write a story in two settings, right? And then send that out into the world and see that as a complete thing when it was published and know that I could come back to this. Um, that this would be here. This was my large project. So I think having those small projects in between the larger project was very important to break up the time. It, it broke up time for me and reading a lot, um, kind of having yes. comps and having these reading rituals, these periods of not writing. Cause like, right. It takes so long because you are also growing through what you read and what you encounter. So I read a lot more than I wrote. I wasn't always, I'm not a writer who gets up every day and writes from, you know, nine to five. Sometimes I go for months without writing and that's very frightening, right? You, you, I never know which day I'm going to wake up and not be able to make it back to the page. That's always an anxiety. Um, so it, it, it might, when you say it out loud, it might seem like a long time, but when you are in the thick of it, it seems like it just breezes by you. Oh, definitely. And the other thing I find that this is a constant frustration also, I don't know if you thought about this, but, or if this bothers you as well, but there is this perpetual frustration by the fact that every time you're working on the book, the time you spend working on the book, you're growing as a writer also. And then you get to this point where you've learned all this stuff being a writer over this these years. And then you say, oh, I wish I could write this book with what I know now, but you can never go back. And then if you do more, it's like you can't ever be the writer you are now and go back to the beginning of the current book because you had to write the current book in order to get where you are now. And you you just have to give up and say, okay, well, I'm just going to give that to the next one and accept that you can't just be on this treadmill and constantly be going back to the beginning because now I know how to do this better. So I got to start all over. It could go on forever. I think that's, it, it, it's perfect. Um, because <laughs> it is exactly, I was telling someone this, uh, the other day I said that I could still be revising this based on how I'm growing as a writer, because right where if you keep writing, you keep growing as a writer. And there are so many things that I would like to go back and change, but I would be changing the whole book. Like this would be the only book that I'm working on for the rest of my life. If, <laughs> yes. If I took that approach. So at some point you just have to be okay with those earlier parts being what they are and trying to kind of stay true to that in the just like letting go and going with what you you have because i i think nothing 
is more true than that growth that you feel happening as a writer, but those things that are behind you that you can't go back um, and change, even in what you are working on, because then there's a lot of unraveling. And then next week, when I learn something else, I'm going to want to unravel again. Um, so, you, and, and, and you can't, <laughs> you can't, you, you don't want to get stuck there. Um, and I think some of those earlier drafts, it was me getting stuck there. So I'm going to totally change this and rewrite everything because I've learned this new thing. And that thing that I did then doesn't work. Like that's not real. Um, I learned that that was wrong. So I have to change. So a lot of those drafts were me being stuck, um, trying to transfer or shift um, based on new knowledge. Oof. I can see that happening with this book because you've got these points of view and you've got the way one person sees it versus another and they don't know that this other person feels this way about it and why and oh, like I could see. So how did you get to the point where you said, okay, I mean, I know you were still feeling like, when you sent it out on submission, is this going to work? But how did you allow yourself to get to the point where it was on submission? I think what I did is I took each what what I ended up doing was I took each character's each POV and I worked on it alone. So once I finished Helen Jean, I was done with Helen Jean. So I wasn't going back to change her perspective, her filtering, um, that filtering, any of that. So that was going to be what it was. All I was going to do were things that um, kind of the developmental things, I would say, maybe making things match up, making sure dates were um, correct, making sure that her voice um, was her voice, the same voice throughout, like those sorts of things. But changing the whole story based on what I've learned about structure or what I've learned about um, POV, what I've learned about setting in time, like I wasn't going to do that anymore. And I did that with each um, perspective. So by the time I got to Julie B, who was the last um, perspective that I worked on, I was like, okay, if I can get through Julie B without rewriting her entirely, I think that I'll have this in a place to where it matches itself and not me, right? Mm -hmm. Like I had to step away as the writer or the creator of this world and let the book be what the book was going to be. Like be happy with where that book was, with that being my first book and and kind of driving things into the next work. So I did um, end up starting like the research on the next novel and drafting the characters based on who I thought I was I was at that time so that I could have something to drive my growth into my growth as a writer into and not try to drive it into this long project I want to drive it into another long project right and that was just something that I needed to do to give myself some relief and keep myself from rewriting yeah because otherwise it could just go on forever. And mm-hmm. then 
And then once you got it into the publishing process, was there a lot of rewriting that happened in once it got to the publisher? Actually, I didn't have, I had um, writer friends who told me, you're going to hate this book. You are going to, by the, by the time it's over, you, you are going to be so sick of the book, but I don't think I had shared um, how much, how many drafts I had already gone through before. Right. <laughs> like this we is not just two drafts. Point. Like we, we've done a bunch of them. So what's we've one more? Done a bunch of drafts. So no, I didn't have to go through a lot of. Oh, well done. No, I didn't. Um, I think we had one round of revisions and it was just adding um, some some details. It wasn't anything long. And then we went through the regular um, copy edits and proofing and that like it wasn't what I was expecting, what I'd heard to, you know, the process would be, it wasn't that at all. And I think my agent, um, did a really good job pushing me after, like, I got an agent pushing me in the drafting process. Um, because I think we went through probably four or five drafts together. Ah, okay. (laughs) We went through drafting together and she would ask questions that, um, about the work that would, um, send me kind of back with into deep thought and spending time with the characters again. So that was very helpful for actually being an expert in this world, uh, in Jerusalem with these characters and having answers to questions that I didn't necessarily need to put in here, but just knowing the world, um, in a way that you could see it through the writing. Um, became something that was very important uh, in that um, process. So I, she was great. She's amazing in getting my book to a place to where I didn't have to hate it after it was <laughs> at a house. Um, I loved it even more because um, Tiny Reparations loved it so much. Um, and I don't, I think we all just fell in love. Oh, that is the ultimate. And then it feels like all those drafts were worth it. You know, the drafts where you're like, oh, but then to have that work pay off is, I imagine, so satisfying. It has been the most um, satisfying thing, because at some point, you know, when when your agent is like, no, I don't think it's ready. Like this is I'm like. I don't even think she likes this book. You know, <laughs> why, why does she even want this book? Um, there were times when I, even then, like I wanted to give up. Um, I wanted to come out and ask her, do you think that like, do you think we can't tell this? Do you think it's not good enough? And she, you know, kind of explained to me one day that it, it's not that the book isn't good. The book she wants the book to, she wanted it shimmering by the time editors began to read it. So they couldn't look away in the ways that she couldn't. Um, and I think her, her method and her strategy were exactly what I needed. And I think everybody listening won't be able to look away either. It's just, it is, it's such a gripping read. And I just, I felt like I was in a real 
world from the beginning with real people that the more I learned about them, the more that I cared about them and the more I wanted to know about them. So from my experience as a reader, it really paid off. And I'm so grateful we've been able to talk about all the hard work that went into (laughs) getting it to where it is. Yeah, it's it, it was hard work, but it's I'm pretty proud of it. They were hard characters to um, put down. They were hard characters to not put down, but walk away from. It was hard to say, okay, um, I'm going to leave you all, your family in Jerusalem and go somewhere else um, because they were with me for so long. So I'm glad that um, that comes through uh, to you as a reader. Yeah, I think there's they're going to be unforgettable to lots of people who read about them now. Um, so exciting. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to me talk about um, this very dysfunctional family. Um, <laughs> it's been such a joy. It's been a joy to read about them and to hear your experience with them as well. I'm just so grateful we got to have this conversation. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a joy. Tired of ads interrupting your favorite show? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash adfreefitness to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads.